Welcome to You Don't Have to Yell, episode quattro, and we are wrapping up Immigration Month. Now, over the last few weeks, we've learned about the history of immigration in the U.S. and how it has a way of otherizing new arrivals in ways that aren't so nice. And based on the stories we've heard and the data we've dug into, there seems to be an indication that this is all happening again. So to wrap up this month, I invited Mehran Kagani. He's an old friend of mine from my days in the Boston comedy scene. He's now a comic himself down in New York. And he came to the U.S. when his family fled the Islamic Revolution in Iran back in the late 70s. So obviously thought he might have an opinion on the subject of immigration. Turns out Mehran has an opinion on everything else, too. So we really cover every topic under the sun. and. Trigger warning, if you walk this earth with any sort of an identity, he's going to say something that's going to piss you off. So if you are Christian, Jewish, Muslim, he left Hindus and Buddhists out of the two major world religions. So there's that. Uh, If you are with law enforcement, if you are white, if you are a Trump voter, if you're from the Midwest, specifically St. Louis, uh, among other things, you're going to have problems. However, I would ask you to restrain the knee-jerk reaction of tuning them out. I really want you to listen because at the end, he reveals some things about how he forms his opinions that relate directly to his experience during the Islamic Revolution in Iran. And it's very, very interesting. So that's your reward. Now, Without any further spoilers and without any further warnings, here is Mehran. Oh, and, and guess where I am right you're, now. You're in bed. Are you seriously? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you are. I'm in St. Louis in a hotel. So it's not like I'm in bed bed. I mean, it's like I could do this or I could sit at like a weird glass desk, but I just don't believe it. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I hear you. Actually, so I want to hear about this before we go any further. I want to clue in the very special people listening to us right now and oh, welcome yeah. them to episode four, Mehran, of You Don't ha- Number, number four. four of You Don't Have to Yell. Uh, the topic this month has... Which is all I do is yeah, yell. I, I, well, see, you're, gonna, you're really going to put this to the test. You're going to test my metal. Look, cause I'm, looking, I'm looking at the waves, like, because on the, the program that we're recording on, I can see my waves and I can see yeah. your waves. And you have these very polite, human sort of looking waves and mine just look like someone shrieking constantly. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. It's like a, yours is like a Rorschach test. I mean, it's really, uh, it really is. yeah. The other thing I guess I should clue everybody in on as well is that, well, first off, I'm happy to have you here because you're you. Sure, 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 sure. And I love Mehran Kagani and the world needs, right back needs, at needs more of you. But the second part is that, so when I was, kind of figuring out the format for this podcast, I just did a bunch of interviews and I just talked with a lot of people who I found interesting. Mehran was one of them. And I think we had a long, we had a very long, exhaustive conversation, probably like two hours or something like that. It was either high or Yes, and you just spilled just some beautiful stories about yourself. And I made you tell them over and over and over again because the tech kept failing. And then I just threw it all out. And now oh, I'm bringing you back here again. So I'm I'm glad you threw you, it out. Well, Dan. I thought it was. I listened. You were great. 
My, you, you and your erratic waveforms were just absolutely stellar. So before we dive into things, like wh- what are you doing in St. Louis right now? Um, I'm here. My, my partner travels for work. I thought I would go with him and I thought that I would like get some writing done yeah. or, you know, I wanted him to have a sense of family because he work you know, he works four or five days of the week, you know, he's out yeah. of town. And I thought that, you know, it would be good for him to come back to the hotel and have his family there as opposed to just an empty hotel room. Yeah. Right. And we had to put down his mom's dog last oh. week. And so I was like, this is a good time. I'm it's, you know, Monday to Thursday. I have off. It's fine. And I just kept it off. I said no. And I uh, I just came here with him. Oh, wow. And I am, I am not in love with the city of St. Louis. I don't know what to tell you. Well, about. yeah, there are probably better places to be in August, I'd say. It, honestly, it's like the, the sort of like white biddyism. I, you know, I've lived in New York now for five years. Before that, I lived in Boston. In Boston, I think my eccentricity was generally celebrated, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's like there was at least an academic curiosity about it, and they saw it as like an interesting shift in, in yes. culture. And I, like, they were like, "Oh, look at look at the world changing." There's an alien, and then in New York, it's like no one gives a shit. Yeah. Like, you know, honestly, if I were being noticed, I would think that something were off. Yes, you know, just because it's eight million people just trying to fucking hustle and yes. survive. But here, man, I'm telling you, I wear it's a t-shirt and like chino shorts like i'm really not pushing any boundaries here but white sunglasses and they just look at me like i'm fuck like i have 10 heads man yeah and are the t-shirts tucked into the shorts of course not oh, okay no and that's that's where i don't blend yes i'm telling you, there's a lot of polo shirts tucked into shorts with braided belts like the fat there what's weird also is that i i was reading stephen king's 11 uh, like I just read it in the last like three days yeah. and you know, it's about a man who goes back in time yeah. and like this city has, has pockets of it that time has absolutely forgotten. And I don't know, it, there, there are ways in which I'm in love with it. Like, I mean, who wouldn't want to buy an abandoned firehouse for like $80,000 and, you know, refurbish it with half a million and like, just live like, a yes. king, you know? The temptation to do that is great and it's possible. And then I go out and it's just the, the people they're, they're not even like warm Christian. And you know what? Noah says that I could just be projecting my shit on them and I'm sure, but you know what? Like it's a very easy thing for a good white American boy to say is that, you know, sure, surely, you know, you're the one who, you know, you're you're projecting your discomfort on them. And it's like, mm, this isn't my first time at the rodeo. <laughs> yeah. I am a bona fide immigrant. You know yeah. what I mean? I I know exactly what it is to be otherized. Yeah. Like, and you don't, my friend. You actually don't. Six foot three with a beard, voice like a lumberjack, easy come, easy go, masculine. Like, you... No, like Noah would have to like literally like pull the cord. He would have to uh, self-immolate. Yes. In order, and then there would be like, oh, that good white boy self-immolated. I <laughs> walk out of the hotel, and they're like, uh oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the interesting thing: is in the conversations I've had over the course of this month, 
And again, you're talking to another six foot three bearded white boy. But in the conversations I've had over the course of this month, one of the things that has become outrageously apparent about the whole immigrant experience in this country. And and this goes back to the the very the, this goes back to the 1800s when the migrations first started is there's this sort of epicenter th- that's white and christian and that mm-hmm. is kind of what's what the american identity is built on and then the further outside of that epicenter you are the less of a chance it is that you're that your group assimilated or was fully absorbed and considered like quote unquote American for lack of a better phrasing here. Um, It happened with the Chinese in the 1800s. There are Chinese families who have been in this family longer than my family has, who pretty much feel like foreigners in their own country. And to, Hmm. and, and I would say like, obviously you came over here from Iran. I would. But Chinese also like, you know, the, the, I, I agree, yeah. but also there, there are certain like, there are also communities that have sort of, that built insular. To an extent. I don't know what to tell Yeah, you. well, to an extent, to an extent, like in in their case, there were were laws about whether they could immigrate or not. There was, there was a point when you couldn't, if you went, if you went to court as a, as a Chinese American citizen, you still needed a white person to vouch for you in court in order for it to hold up. It was, there was this whole, like during the civil war. But that's because, that's because they're shifty. <laughs> Dan, like, the, the... <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I absolutely appreciate it. Do you feel like that? that? I, I, I understand. I love low hanging fruit oh. in my favorite, most delicious fruit. Is the you, you go low, my friend, you go low. Yeah, Do you no. feel Fuck like nuts, I think it's going to be the yeah. game of- obviously like New York and New York's an, an entirely different animal. But like you're in St. Louis, you feel like a foreigner in your own country, basically more or less. Is that a fair assessment, or am I totally? Oh, that's just so weird. I don't think of America as my country. I don't think anybody, but you know, I, I, I don't know how somebody gets to think of this country as their yeah. own country. Yeah, like I mean, I I've lived here basically my whole life, and I I don't know. Without that, like real sort of generational, you know, tie to the land, I don't, I don't know where this delusion of patriotism comes yeah. from. Yeah, I, you're you're talking like I've done my genetic analysis. I'm twenty three thousand years Iranian. Yeah. yeah, right. Like I don't understand where this two hundred year patriotism comes from. I just don't really. So your mom isn't even your mom wasn't didn't like did your mom basically consider herself sort of an exile living in America? Is that is that where we had to come here because she was on a list to be executed for for a, you know an editorial that she had, that was published that she had written about uh, the importance of Iranian women. So she was on a list to be executed during the Islamic uh, Revolution of seventy nine, and so they but they knew about that well in advance, and they uh, had a kid outside of the country as an anchor baby. They gave birth to me in London. Uh-huh. And so that's how my family got out during the revolution. But but otherwise, we are 23,000 years Iranian with no deviation. As in, our genetic ancestors went from East Africa, they got to the Caucasus Mountains, and fucking stayed there. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
we didn't go to the Indus Valley. We didn't cross the Himalayas. We didn't get to eat like the Pacific seaboard, move north, like hop on Alaska, get to North America, land here. Like that, that was not our route. We stayed where we You're landed. Like, yeah, just like I'm not climbing up another fucking hill. I'm staying. Well, and it's also I don't know, and we're also like the original white oh, people. Oh yeah, so that's another, that's that's more fun with language. The Caucasus, but the Caucasus. Uh, yeah, absolutely, that's correct. Yeah. So, I don't know. I I love America and everything, but make no mistake. Like with Donald Trump in office, and now with uh, Boris Johnson, like it the Western English speaking world has really become a caricature of itself. And I don't feel any like sense of uh, neither loyalty nor optimism. I'm like, let's all get the fuck out of here and form a new colony. This is this one. We broke it. You broke it kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would say like, if there's ever a point when we've been closer to disintegration. Yeah. I would say maybe the civil war, maybe that's the closest we've ever been. This is, this is about, this is about as, Yes. Yeah. But and I, I, and I wish it were, but like, you know, now it's been gerrymandered where it's like, it's harder to break that, yeah. you know, yeah. but I w- would that it were North and South would that it were so clear across straight across state lines. But like, you know, you look at, let's say New York state, you know, it's, you know, the five, bur- well, four of the five boroughs are blue, yeah. you know, but then the rest of the state is pretty fucking yeah. red. And like Massachusetts, like when you hit Western Massachusetts, yeah, it's generally liberal, but you know, you get a little, you, you get some, you get some ignorance out there and the, the country it's, it's a mishmash of fucking lunatic racists and, uh, like leftists who don't know how far left to go. And I wish they would start killing each other. I actually think so. You'd think that would. Oh my God. Here's the thing as, as a survivor of revolution, um, the, the problem is that our revolution was largely cooked, yeah. you know, uh, that there was foreign meddling. Yeah. Well, you could argue maybe um, that's the same case here though. Yeah, you absolutely yeah. could. You absolutely could. But, um, the conservative side won under the auspice that it was like reclaiming patriotism, which was total dog mm-hmm. shit. Actually, it's starting to sound a lot like yeah. America. And, um, and you know all the all the good kids left, all the good kids left, and it plunged the country into uh, an economic recession that it will likely never recover yeah. from. And uh, and it left like literally, I mean, the the intellectual wealth of the country left, like doctors, engineers, lawyers, architects, gone the fuck out, policymakers gone, and like suddenly the janitor who was willing to betray or sell out his cousin who had liberal thinkings and then the cousin gets executed that janitor is given a like a a position of authority in government and that's what you're looking at in Iran and those same idiots you know yeah. what i mean are um, they they are certainly queued up for uh, a certain ascendancy in this country yeah i worry I worry, but I do think like better it be dead than than you know, uh, than than it have the power to execute imperialism to to enact imperialism. Yeah. The well, there's is. like, you know, when I when I kind of look at the history of this country and and I kind of you know you break it up into chunks, and I would say 
we're experiencing the tail end of something that began at the end of World War II. You know, we're experiencing basically yeah. the entire industrialized world was in rubble. The U.S. was the only country with any industrial capacity left. The free world, as we call it, the allies needed protection from the Russians, and it helped create this order that was built around, centered around the U.S. dollar, uh, built around American military uh, prowess, and sure. it ultimately allowed us to do a lot of things that maybe weren't great for the rest of the world, number one. But the interesting thing, too, is it has allowed us to borrow unlimited amounts of money um, up until now. In, in World War II, the U.S. made a bunch of money. I mean, war is, is pro like, if you win, it's yeah. profitable. Yeah, and what, what you're seeing now is... And by, yeah. and by the way, the U.S., I do, I, I do want to say this, historically, like, when it has won, when it has, it has been parsimonious with its winnings... Like it, it doesn't tip the dealer. Like it, <laughs> did, there were no reparations to the good to the good black people. There were no, uh, you know, when when we decided to like fully back uh, the nation state of Israel, Palestinians certainly weren't bought of, out of house and home. Not that they were necessarily willing to do it, but you could have tossed them a couple of shekels. I think they yeah, quiet. It, it, it like the U.S. just doesn't compensate. Native Americans were still hosing them away from their sacred lands. It's just we. It, it takes, and it doesn't say please or thank you, and here's a little money, and it has the money to well, tip with. It's it's actually it's in a lot of ways it's a it's a nation based on theft, and it's or it's a nation based on your ability to stand on a patch of ground and fight everybody else off it, and that's kind of what this country has been built on wave after wave after wave after wave of people starting with the you know the pilgrims going into uh, the the way we just kind of wiped out the native americans and even like i look at you know my my grandparents who came here during the the tail end of the big wave of irish migration first part of the 20th century and even they had to with had to fight to claim their quote unquote Americanness. And, you know, you talk about your mom effectively leaving because she had to, like my grandparents were, were British subjects, you know, they were like a people occupied and they yeah. came here and at the, and, and you know, I, I hate to say this because like the whole Irish experience is often used by white people to sort of like sort of, sort of dismiss the, the ethnic grievance or the grievances of other groups, I'd say, but like, but, but they were like, they weren't welcome. Like they were not there. They were not welcome. They weren't shackled. No, they weren't shackled. No, look, they came here because they had a choice to come. They came here by choice. But, you know, there are stories of my grandmother having to like basically like fight her way into situations because of her accent and because people just saw her and just assumed she was not American as a result, you know? Yeah, I think you see a lot. I think you see Arab Americans going through that a lot now. I know that during the Iran hostage crisis, my brother's caught a lot of shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah. and so that's what it is. So it's like, so so this, so basically everybody, when, whoever comes here, not welcome, first off and foremost, you're not welcome. Nobody is, you can't. I can't think of one wave of migrants, again, starting with the pilgrims that anybody wanted here who lived here before. And then you've got mm. to kind of sit here and like fight for your space. And then to win, you just don't leave effectively. 
you know that's kind of like that's that's how the history works but i think as a result it 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 permeates into all aspects of our culture and and uh and and certainly into like our and don't get me wrong i understand it like i the, i always try to break it down into like is it like what's the most like simple human sort of like truth of it and I, so I live in the Upper West Side and I'm really like, I love, it has the highest voter population uh, sort of turnout in the country, density uh-huh. wise. Uh, I, I love how sort of old and Jewish it is. I love like how it's quiet and nobody has to be a supermodel, but it's still the city. I love it in so yeah. many ways, right? Um, and I respect it. But some fucking hipsters moved in on my block. And I was like, how do I drive them away? Like, how do I, with, with, I mean, and I, I can be incredibly alienating. <laughs> how do I make these two fucking shitty, contrived haircut, garbage young people feel uncomfortable here and fucking get back to Brooklyn? See, where you're American. That's, uh-huh. right? because, That's because patriotism. Because they reeked of disrespect. They reeked of like not understanding or loving the thing that was here yes. before that. Yes. And 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 that could have been again, this is where Noah could be right about like when I'm in a bad mood, I'm just projecting it on other people and I, <laughs> I I'm uh in fact here I am otherizing these other people and I just hate God, I hate the young. But um the, the you know, the, you're right. That is, that is something that can happen. And who knows, maybe they'd be good neighbors, but they just seemed like, uh, they seem like such cunts. Yeah. And then, and now I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking about myself walking around St. Louis and I probably come off as a cunt. Yeah. You know, with my white sunglasses on, not like, you know, feeling like I need to acknowledge or howdy do the people who are walking down the street. And by the way, I'm happy to howdy do them. It's just that I feel like I'm going to horrify them when like the stream of acid and like, dick burps that i'm going to certainly do you know what i mean like i'm good certainly a belch come and they'll just be like oh jesus wept (laughs) like um yeah that's what i'm worried yeah yeah well maybe you ought to give the people of st louis a chance and do some howdy duding go outside i've tried it i walk the dog four times and you wave and you're like hey good morning lovely weather and every dog I walk by, and this is true in New York City, so you can imagine how long it takes me to like make yeah. it around the block. I I kiss dogs. I say hello to dogs. I say hello to their owners. I am one of the howdy dootiest people you're yeah. gonna meet. Like I would have, I, I probably would have done well in like you know the the post World War II South. <laughs> like not not because I was I was going to be like yeah hooray Jim Crow, yeah. but uh. But but because it's very like you know like lawn sprinkler tip yeah. the hat have how a you cup doing? of lemonade on the porch type thing. I am very that yeah. way. I am very that way. Add alcohol. I'm that way day <laughs> or night. And it's just the, I'm telling you the city is a little closed off. And hips I find hipsters to be closed off actually. Yeah i I agree. I agree. I think like the one thing about hipsters though is that they've actually never had to spend their adult life in recession. Like they haven't had to, they have not had to deal with like 
Maybe I'm generalizing. I, well, we're generalizing, aren't we? Well, also, maybe you're generalizing. The thing about hipsters. Yeah. I, the thing about this entire I'm definitely general. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But uh-huh. here's my, here's actually kind of getting back to what I was saying about the whole World War II order and everything like that, mm, is that mm, now, mm. actually, because of our intransigence over the deal with Iran, Europe has actually talked about developing a system of money transfer to counter the current system, which is based in US dollars. And China, of course, is just like has been looking at that for a while. And the reason we can keep raising the debt limit and the reason we can afford this vast military without raising taxes uh, and without cutting government services is because we can borrow a shitload of money. And if anything is done to change our monetary system to move away from U.S. dollars, that all goes away because now you don't need to hold USD to do international transactions. And so I feel like when, mm. if you want to talk about kind of what the the next sort of shift in world order it's going to be, it's going to be one where we actually have to pay our bills and our ability to finance this enormous military and 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 the power that goes with that starts to get reduced and something else comes and fills the void. And what that is, I don't I have zero idea. But but I feel that's where we're headed. I, I, I respect what you're speaking about from a, from a global economic standpoint. I, I really do. I, uh, the, the historically, I, I worked for Larry Summers oh, yeah. many years ago, many moons ago. Wow. Uh-huh. And so I hear what yes. you're saying. Uh, for me, I, the, a lot of that stuff turns on a dime. Mm-hmm. A lot of like what you're saying it, you know, it can change with one backdoor deal. It can change with, you know, one sort of strategic war. Mm-hmm. It can change with for the the stuff that doesn't change really is like what what a country starts to feel like. Yeah. That's the stuff that it doesn't turn around overnight. Yeah. It really the fuck doesn't. And you know, Obama winning was like a celebratory week and then like drone strikes were happening and it's still the yeah. same fucking sick loot thing. The, I, I, I am more concerned that this this country doesn't... Ha- it's been on a, a, a downward trajectory of feeling since the Reagan era. I think like the Clinton era, Clinton times, like uh, ecstasy, we had like, like eight years of uh, sort of MDMA <laughs> and a nice yeah, feeling. yeah. And then, you know, we're, we're back to W and 9-11 and all of that dog shit. And now now we are at this sort of nadir where reality television and politics are the same circle. Yeah. On the main diagram. Oh. It's, this, it's the same fucking we circle. Have a, we have a showman president is what we have. The, the But of the lowest imaginable oh, order yeah. like with no demonstrable like his talent is simply uh being the worst much, yeah you know but and yet won an election not by majority but by the system that exists that would allow that to happen and you, you know gets more airtime than any other story and then now boris johnson is like trump on fucking steroids Boris Johnson is like you, you've seen like the images of him in uh, like the harness 
with the two Union Jacks, like the Nut Huggers. Oh yeah. I'm That's sorry, okay. my I should have turned okay. my ring off. But I mean, the, the, I'm just saying, vibe wise, like whether or not the if the European Union if the European Union is able to you know sort of unseat the dollar with with the help of China, hooray, hooray, hooray! By the way, China as fucked up as it gets. FYI, throwing that out into the universe. Do you know what it is? Like, there. this is something that bothers me. There's so much, like, now, like, people are trying to, like, so, like the softer side of Islam. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of. And it's like, you fucking morons. Like, this now is not a time to be like, oh, but he's a good Muslim. Like, there, there's an HBO special with a Muslim comic. Uh, Dina Hashem, who, like, just got death threats for a joke that she made about extentation. She, they're like Muslim comic Dina Hashem. And it's like, I don't know that she would necessarily sell, like identify as a Muslim yeah. comic. Islam is a, is, is a religion that uh, its followers take very seriously. Uh, when, when it, uh, it lives on a political scale, like of the 18, I believe it's 18 uh, Muslim countries, Islamic countries in the world, 15 of them. Uh, have have direct laws against uh, homosexuality, and all but three of them are punishable by death. These are like this buffet religiosity where it's like it's about one God, man. It's about get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like these are old and dangerous ways of thinking that should have been phased out eons ago. You know, and China does a lot of really, really screwed up stuff to its oh, people. Yeah. And I don't know, like I, America is sick, but it's, it's sick. And oh my God, the way it's sick. It's sick, but it can, it's the most likely to get better. Do we think I, so? Well, I'm not, I mean, Denmark, Norway, like they're, they're actually living. doing pretty good. They're, they're actually doing, they're doing pretty great. good. I will say for every meme that I see of Venezuela in an attempt to decry socialism, I really want to respond with yeah. a picture of my hotel room from the Stockholm Hilton because they yes. make socialism look good. Like they really do a great job with it. Their criminal justice system is like, I, I can't believe that there isn't one documentary a week about the Norwegian criminal justice it. system. Uh, it's literally based on reform. They have like towns where they let the criminals out and they live there for the better part of a day so that they can reassimilate into society and understand what it is to be a non-criminal in the world and to know that they will be accepted, yeah. that they, I mean, it's a completely different system of yeah. reform. They are light years ahead of us in terms of what we are willing to sort of ask of ourselves and each other in terms of improving as mm -hmm. a species. There's a couple issues. Like I think one of the things about like our approach to law and our approach to everything is kind of getting back to the origins of this country. You know, we are a country where there was always some scary boogeyman just around the corner, whether it was, you know, the British, the communists, the witches, like whatever. And yeah, the, the witches. witches, the first, Correct. yeah, the it. first one. And uh, the fuck yeah. with us. And look what we did to them. And, but 
but I think that as a result, like in, in the US, and, and you find this across a new world, you find this in every country but Canada, there is a sense of almost like a fortress of safety and law is there to keep those people out. And our whole criminal justice system right now, at least, is based on preserving that wall or in. Our criminal justice system is a for profit mm-hmm. system. That is an extension of Absolutely. slavery. And that that is that, that I would say that that's like 85 to 90 yeah, percent. I would I would agree there. And I would say it's fueled. See, this is the funny thing is that the people who support the system as it stands, I don't think would say that that is why they support it. But it's allowed to exist because we have this perception that uh, we are surrounded by danger and it is our job to keep the dangerous things away. And what I've learned about criminality in the last, and, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll maybe I'll add some color to this. So uh, about when was it uh, a few months ago, we took in two, uh, two foster kids. So there were two girls in the town who needed, needed a place to stay. And we knew one of them and we felt like we can give them a home. We can keep them safe, give them some stability for a while and good kids. But the, the funny thing about it is when you have kids who are kind of raised in, in a certain degree of chaos, there's a lot of things they just don't learn. And especially when it comes to trauma, you know, when it comes to somebody with a traumatic history, there's also a great amount of, of, I think maybe pain and, and shame you carry with it. And, and what happens that, that really absolutely only and time. if you you can move you can move the dial with therapy if but you it give them room time. yeah but the the problem is is that yeah. in a lot of situations these kids are left largely untreated they go through it's up to the schools to sort of handle the problem until they're 18 and once they're 18 the criminal justice system is supposed to sort of pick up the pick up the slack and so you have a group of people who really don't respond to you know, punishment in the same way that you or I would. And, uh, and, and basically we're, what we're doing is at best, it's delaying the next crime until the person gets out. You know, there's no treatment, there's no reform, there's no attempt to really. But I mean, this is how, you know, the country, like, this is where patriotism has to be questioned. If there are all of these, and I mean, let's consider Mm -hmm. them orphans. You know what I mean? Patriotic orphans, right? They have been orphaned by that. hundred percent. I think, I think the problem is that the moniker of patriotism tends to come with a lot of, uh, a lot of, it tends to imply a lot. It implies, you know, undying blind support of any U S military involvement abroad. It involves capitalism. It involves, to an extent, I, I would say, religion's part of that. You know, and um, and mm. if you really want to think about patriotism as a love of country, you know, you owe your country a little more than to allow your philosophy to be encapsulated on a bumper sticker. You know, you you owe it your thought and you owe it your effort. And I think the if American democracy fails. It's going to be out of our lack of concern for our own community and the people around them. Uh, and it's going to be out of just laziness, just. Well, also, but you, you know, the, this is, this is where leadership is imperative. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like as much as Obama sort of uh, towed the line of like uh, an ongoing sort of capitalistic problem, you know, no clean water in Flint. He went there and he drank that glass of water and he's like, Mm -hmm. see, I'm fine. It's like asshole, Mm -hmm. fucking asshole. But at least he was good front of the house. At least he was a good mater d. He he was unbelievably articulate and went and you know that he was like aging in the White House. You know that he was working tirelessly, that his family mm-hmm. was suffering for it. Well, if he had a message of service, the United States could be like, okay, service. True. You know, like you can take that. The, the Trump era. What what is he? Go- what the fuck is he going to do other than be like, "You're great the way you are, baby." That's, like that's pretty that's, much it. Yeah, I'll ask you a question here. You know, I talked about Trump being the sh- being a showman president. I think Obama was a showman president in a lot better than Trump. Better than sure. Trump. But there yeah. was. What about Clinton? Don't sleep on Clint- Clinton. I, I mean, think, Jesus. So Christ, I actually Clinton? think Clinton. I think he was actually the last competent president we had. I think he was the last good president. I think if you look at what he did overall, and if you, or if you, if you talk about in terms of accomplishment, even with Republican house, Republican Senate, he still managed to get some stuff done. I think Bush was basically a shill for Republican donors. Obama, real positive message. I think somebody, kids and everybody here could really say, hey, that's my president and be proud of, you know, at the very yeah. least, he there were, you never had to apologize for him. No, you were so proud of him. Jesus Christ. Every time he spoke, yeah, I was like, but, there I you mean, go. Trump's entire, his, his entire ascendancy is effectively, he's really good, really good at speaking to the people who are going to vote for him. He is really good at just whipping up this base that will vote for him regardless. And, and I don't think it can spread, but the flip side of it is, is I don't like, do you, what's the democratic platform? Like, do you have any idea? I don't. Uh, It's socialism or bust. Yeah. Yeah. It's obviously socialism or bust. Like with automation and the consolidation Mm -hmm. of wealth, it is either, you know, universal basic income, like education across the board. It's either that or the, the power consolidates even more. People are left with nothing and people with nothing have Mm -hmm. nothing to lose. That's people with nothing have, and that's, that sort of dovetails onto what you were talking about earlier. People who have been orphaned by a system, people whose communities have been shaped in a way for generations that do not promise them the same opportunities that are afforded to other people who are born Mm -hmm. into other situations. Those people who have nothing to lose, why on earth should they obey your laws? Why on earth should they? There's no reason to. And so uh, anything. it's not about incremental change. It's not about... You know, even even running on an anti-Trump platform, it's like, and then what? Do you know what I mean? That's it, it's like anti-Trump is the most obvious thing in the entire mm-hmm. world. Yeah, probably like it's a it's a good strategy socially to sh- to show your teeth and be like, because at this point, there's you know the one thing that they've done a pretty good job of in the last month is 
demonstrating and redemonstrating, like almost in a Lincoln Douglas debate style, that this man is a racist. Oh yeah. And that you cannot support him without co-signing his race. But I don't think the people who vote for him care. The, the people, the the people who who will who would vote for him this time, they it's not that they care; it's that they would have to uncare. As in, you're not. You're, it's like it, it, you you would have to be kind of outing yourself as you are also. Yep, I'm a racist yeah. too, and fuck you. That's a harder thing to sign than, you know, I'm a disestablishmentarian. Yeah. That's a harder thing to say than I'm not doing Hillary. Hillary's going to be more of the same and the country's headed in the wrong direction. At least let me vote for radical change. And there were people who went that way with Trump. Yeah. And and I'd agree. I mean, I don't know how many voters he's lost. Ultimately, it all depends on the upper Midwest. That's like that. The whole election's in the upper Midwest, right? The South is going to vote the way it's going to vote. Mm-hmm. Rural states are going to vote the way they're going to vote. Coastal states, all that. They're all going to vote the way they're going to vote. Florida's a coin flip. But the upper Midwest, it's really like, has he lost anyone there? And to be honest, mm-hmm. no offense to my to my friends in the upper Midwest, I don't know if the race conversation is going to change. I don't know. I don't know if that element is why. Uh, Trump voters wouldn't vote. I think the tariffs might. No, they're going to vote for him anyhow. Let me. Trump wins because he's a troll. Yeah. And there are people who are so genuinely weak spirited that they will stand behind the troll because they think the troll is the winning gig. And that's. I'm. I'm telling you, that's what it boils down. Like, the the internet is a pox on this world, and we will either learn how to use it sanely and safely, or it will be our undoing. Yeah. And Trump is he he was born for this, like the you know the, the this pretend rich guy in the era of Robin Leach and lifestyles of the rich and famous, you know, eventually gets into reality TV, thinks he's the big guy, he's the big boss, and like it's just the the whole thing. He was literally a professional wrestling heel. Yeah, this man literally worked and got a paycheck to go on the WWF ring and get booed. Right, he is king troll. He's troll. He is the the bad guy wrestling manager of the world. He is he is of the world. He is like Bobby the Brain Heenan. Yeah, I don't know. You don't know. Well, you're gonna have to look it up. He is yes, he is the bad guy professional wrestling manager of geopolitics. And and where there is such a dearth of intellect, they will they will side with him because they like the circus. Even the whole plastic straw thing. The paper straws suck, dude. Have you ever put a paper straw in a cocktail? It disintegrates. It, the paper straw is terrible. Absolutely. The technology is not. Yes, improved. no. With, they they got to get to work on that. Absolutely. But like, <laughs> they got like without a doubt. But it's like it's just anything. Uh, the women's soccer team. Uh, me too movement i mean it gets it gets crazier still black lives matter they they literally see like the the black people asking not like please just don't kill us hi there literally (laughs) i've been to black lives matters rallies where it's literally just please don't kill us it's not even that tall in order or or look at the systematized racism in this country like look at it examine it you know the, the request to, to to look is considered 
too much of a PC. It's that's considered radical PCism among certain groups. So let me just open up a a, a total can of glitter here, and and we're mm. gonna make a total mess, Mayron. First mm. off, as part of my you know part of my Facebook feed is I have folks who were affiliated with Black Lives Matter, and I have cops, and these are just to give you an idea. These are people I know fairly well. And look, let's just be real here. If you are white in America, you are carrying some amount of racism with you, whether you're aware of it or whether you're not, it's just there. It's just, it's like, it's, 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 it's ambient, you know, you are, it's a, it's a form of social conditioning that every prejudice is not Nobody has exclusivity over prejudice. No. Absolutely nobody. I, me and my dislike of me smelling that thick Christian air in yeah. St. Louis is prejudice. Don't know what to tell you. Yeah. So there's so everybody's got it. Every everybody's got mm-hmm. it. And so I would never say like I wouldn't say that that I don't carry prejudice, and I certainly wouldn't say that any of my friends on the police force don't carry it either. But I think with them, the way they feel generally is they go in, you know, their day basically consists of going out and dealing with just the most horrible of everything, the most horrible of society. And they deal with the most fucked up situations and they get yelled at and they get, and they deal with people's bullshit. And so I think to them, they look at any challenge to the you're talking about police, police officers. officers. They effectively lump any challenge to the integrity of that profession on the side of the people who they're dealing with every day. And they kind of break up the world into my side and their side. And their side is is built around trying to keep shit together. Mm-hmm. And and I think the big yeah. challenge here is that their side, by the way, gets to carry guns and actually enact authority even when they're with very little repercussion. Well, that's the, the flip side of it is, is then you've got a group of people who quite literally take effort in how they conduct themselves to avoid getting shot by accident. And so it's very, very difficult for those parties to meet anywhere, you know? And, uh, and it's fueled, it's made even worse by everybody who's not a cop or not dark-skinned. Because what happens is everybody goes to their fucking battle stations and everybody throws in, you know, their memes and their vitriol and and they just kind of like reinforce the anger in a lot of ways. And and I don't I don't know the you know, I don't know the answer to it. I really don't. Yeah, the answer is we, we have to start seeing actual repercussions for bad police work. If you're if your waiter were to sneeze on your like on your on your supper you know, and then carry on with impunity, you would hope that that waiter would, would see their, like, would see their job terminated. You would hope, but that, that doesn't happen in, in, in uh, our police forces a lot. Yeah. Well, it's very, it is very difficult. If you are a police officer, it's very difficult to get indicted. It's very difficult for juries to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Also like, you know, this is true. I don't know. I think like there's also this like culturally ingrained like love and respect your police force, love and respect your soldier who fights for your freedom. And it's like, Hooker, it's a job. Mm -hmm. And I don't think everybody comes about their job honestly. 
I think that there are people who go into medicine because of the prestige, not because it's mm-hmm. a healing art. I think there are people who go into comedy for the attention and the dick sucking, not to make people laugh. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, we, it, it's naive to think that everybody comes about their job, oh, yeah. honestly. Oh, yeah. And, and, and then actually performs it honestly. So th- this is, at the end of the day, something that is missing in this system, is a real sort of checks and balances gig. And I'm not going to sort of like blindly be like, you know what, cops get a fucking free ride in terms of, you know, uh, moral inventory. That's mm-hmm. not happening. Yeah. Well, I, I would say kind of getting back to something I said earlier about the way we view the law. We are we have a high level of tolerance for government sanctioned violence in this country, higher than any other industrialized nation. And mm. and that is all out of the fact that, you know, France has been acting rather strange. There, yeah, <laughs> well, they go see the crazy thing about us. The thing about us, right, is we're violent, but we're kind of always violent. We kind of know how to handle our liquor. Europe goes mm. from like zero to crazy in, in yeah, exactly, just like just like the, the drop of a hat. And, yeah. and so, yeah, so like you look at a lot of like the right wing parties that are on the rise over there, like they're fucking nuts. And they are like, at, like at least like here, we kind of like couch it all politely, you know? So it's like, like we don't actually, we don't actually ever, well, I guess we do say like, you don't belong here. Like that's, that's happened. Uh, we you literally, literally just did. <laughs> we like, yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay. So, so I guess we did do that, but there is a fight to determine ethnic and religious homogeneity in this country, or at least establish a, uh, a structure where, where white and Christian is at the top. And that's been, go- that's been going on mm. since, you know, we, we encountered the first Americans here that came when the pilgrims arrived mm. and talked to whoever, well, I can't remember who Massasoit, who, yeah, yeah exactly. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> like, but that happened right there where it was the white Christian attempting to tame the savage Oh, but I mean, so much of that is narrative that was just woven to support the colonialism. I mean, like, th- this is a history written by the Victor story, if ever there was one. They disembarked and there were misunderstandings. Get the fuck yeah, out of here. Yeah, and kind of like... Like, these are experienced yeah, colonialists. And, they dilute, and it gets diluted over time, you know? Like, but so, so it gets a little more polite, but that's kind of what the center of it is. Like, even you look at getting back to you know my example of of my grandparents right well we were a bunch of lousy papists and we were going to fundamentally change american culture if we weren't careful so your grandparents got here we're like talking 19 we're talking 20s no, well my my grandfather mm-hmm. so one of my grandfathers got here 1910 i think and then my grandmother would have gotten here my grandpa my grandmother and grandfather would have gotten here in the 20 in the 20s and like and so and okay. just like so my grandmother for example worked for a woman who who called her molly and because she said all the all the irish girls were named molly never bothered to learn her name yeah it was like like stuff like that but like yeah right so like but so what happened is over the course of time, like we just kind of became white people, you know, like something happened and, 
you know, we lost an accent, yeah. we made a little money and, and then, you know, everybody got into green beer and all of a sudden we're cool. And, and yeah. so that the, the circle expands a little bit, but I, I think there's always that battle. There's always that struggle and, and it's going on now where people have this perception of a face of America. There's a certain group of people and America is, is white and Christian, but that is not, that's not codified in the nation. It's still like, it's, it's not anything anybody's going to say outright. This country is a baby. This country is a Uh, baby. I need you to remember where I, 23,000 years ago, my genetic ancestors said, and like empires rose and fell around them. You know, one of my one of my relatives over in Ireland actually had a really interesting observation. And he was looking at us and he was looking at the Israelis. And he said that when you don't have a, a historic claim to land, if somebody steps into your yard, you're going to punch him in the nose. Your, your people go back 22,000 years, same plot of land. I don't know when people got into Ireland, but it's a long time. You know, those like, like they, they're Irish. Mm. And that's even, you look at, you know, my grandparents leaving British occupation, the British had been there since 1500. You know, they had effectively ruled over that country, you know, for over 400 years. And the Irish still felt Irish. They still felt like this is our land. This is not your land. And the British kind of felt the same way too. And that's why they left. And, and so Mm. there's that sense here. There's, you're born here. And you are effectively as good as your protections under the law. That's kind of what it is to be American. It's to be, it's, it's to be, to exist in this framework that, you know, ideally protects you as well as it protects anybody else. Now that isn't always, that isn't how it plays out, but that's kind of the idea. And, uh, and so it, 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 by nature, it's going to fight homogeneity, you know, by nature, the system won't allow it. But history, you know, what I have seen is that basically since the Civil War, the greatest injustice or the greatest injustices, the greatest efforts to kind of pervert that order have been built around race and ethnicity always. Because when the slavery debate started, there needed on the side of the slave states, there needed to be a way to explain or needed to be a way to codify white supremacy. Well, specifically, you know, the 13th Amendment was just the beginning of of the abolition of slavery. Like they, the South kept trying to, you know, to, to again, but like sneak uh, slavery back into uh, existence through sort of legal exploitations and where it bleeds into immigration as I believe it's the 15th amendment that has to do with, with, uh, anchor babies. That was, that was, it was, it was specifically to protect the voting rights of slaves. Do you know, and that precedent was actually set an American citizen from China, went to China, came back and they weren't, they didn't let him in the country. They said, you're not, you can't be American, you're Chinese. And so that's actually, that was the legal precedent for birthright citizenship here. And, but then again, you see, so Mm. in the earlier part of the 1900s, there was a whole quota system that was very much geared around Europe. It said, it said basically like we can accept a percentage of immigrants that's equal to that percentage of the population in the U S. So obviously like favored people from England. And, Mm. and of course, 
you know, mm. if you were black, you were considered American anyway. So it wasn't like they were going to accept more folks from Africa. So it was really kind of. What was interesting was that I had a British passport, but my family was Iranian and my immigration took forever to fix. You mean because like they saw you in two countries or because it was British? Because like. Uh, no, because the, I think I, they still processed me as Iranian, even though it was like a British passport that was trying to get in this country Got and get it. a green card. And I was the last one to get a green card in my family. When I was in the sixth or seventh grade, Joanne Hennessy, the principal of my school, like had me called out of class into an office. So in, like yelling at me about where's your alien registration number. And like I, I cried and cried. Uh, you know, you can't just be here. That's insane. And then my mom came in and fucking yeah, what an educator, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, my no, I mean, in general, my mother was like, "You made my kid cry." Like, you know, n- n- had n- there was no legal sort of conversation about it. It was just sort of like, "You made an Iranian child's cry." You know, an Iranian's child cry. Welcome to the terror drone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a yeah. little bit, you know, like we. We just operate. I think I, all mothers, I think, have that kind of that that ferocity oh, in them. Iranian mothers, it's like it's it's competitive. So this woman, this woman, wh- what did she expect to accomplish? Like, uh, she, I think she was like, you know, you're if you're either legal or you're not, get in or get out. You know, pretty, get your number together. You know, uh, we can't have you enrolled in this school if you're an illegal. And it took a minute. I mean, I didn't get my green card until 1992, which would have been my so- like the summer after my sophomore year in high school. Yeah, you'd think there'd be this whole like, oh, they left the Ayatollah. Let's welcome him in and fuck those guys. But no. Oh no, they they totally. They, it was how's the Ayatollah? I caught how's when I when we came back from Iran in in '86. Uh, yeah. It was how? It, yeah, was it? No, it was '87. I'm sorry, March 17th of 1987. They were like, how's the Ayatollah? Kids were super mean. And like, meanwhile, you know, under the, in, during the Islamic revolution, we had friends of the family killed. We had actual family killed. Uh, my mother was on a list to be killed. My father did the Hajj so he could stay there and we wouldn't lose all of our money. We ended up losing all of our money anyhow. Like, it was, uh, I lost, I mean, I, I, you know, basically grew up without a dad. Like, the family was destroyed. Everything fell the fuck apart. Uh, no one hated the Ayatollah like I hated the Ayatollah. No one hated Saddam Hussein like I hated Saddam Hussein. But, like, he bombed my school for fuck's sake. Really? But Like shells yeah. or did he, like, um, like... Bomb, they dropped, he, he, he pirated uh, Tabrizi Radio, uh, which is, Tabriz is in the northwest part yeah. of Iran. And said that he was going to bomb schools and hospitals every day as an alarm clock for the children. That was his that was his terrorist threat, and he followed through. And my school actually abutted from the back a hospital, and he dropped a bomb right in the middle of both. Holy, yeah. And I mean, this is all that when I was nine, you know, like nobody, nobody really hates the Middle East like I hate the Middle East, you know, and. And nobody hates like Islamic states like I hate Islamic yeah. states. I'm a fag. I'm you know I'm I'm on the girls' team. <laughs> yeah, you know, these are these are ugly and terrible places. And you're, we're not supposed to say that. We're not supposed to hear that. But 
again, it's just, it's about creating accountability. It's about having an open dialogue. And if all of a sudden the police force can't be criticized, and if all of a sudden we're saying, oh, by the way, you know that they're just, that if three men of repute accuse a man of homosexuality in Iran, he's stoned to death. If three men of repute Mm -hmm. accuse a man of homosexuality, and then he has the option of mandatory sex change or death. So, you know, we're, we're talking about like global humanist reform. And when rather it's like, that's what I would hope we would be talking about. And it's not at all what we're talking about. And, you know, somehow it's considered, you know, Ilan Omar is considered an anti-Semite when she's like, really, Netanyahu's kind of a lunatic, which he fucking is. And I might be considered anti-Islamic when I'm like, Jesus Christ, there there isn't an Islamic nation on earth that has its shit together. Yeah. Yeah. Right? No, I mean, I'm just saying, the, these are like, these are larger conversations. Totally. You know, it's it's funny, like, I don't want to connect the dots and totally ruin the conversation here, but Please do. But the interesting Please do. thing, like the interesting thing that about everything you're saying here, is that you're you're effectively coming from a place where truth was suppressed, and where people's inability to how do I put this? I'm coming from a place of impunity. Yeah, Dan. Like I'm coming from a place of I I don't give a yeah. fuck. Right. And I like, and by the way, that that's the most American thing a person can do. Yeah. hundred percent. And do you think that, you know, cause I'm listening to you and I'm listening to all you're saying here. And it sounds to me like the inability to criticize that we impose on ourselves in this country is almost us taking a conscious step towards what you saw in Iran. Well, and yeah, and ceding control to people who are only too happy to take it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's how, like, absolutely Mm -hmm. not. In the name of the best within us, you know? Isn't that that a Girl Scout In the name of the best within us? In the name of the best within us? I'm going to adopt it. Yeah. You know? That's my slogan. Yeah, man. But it, no, it's the Girl Scouts. Like, never forget, it's the fucking Girl <laughs> Scouts. Yeah, but, you know, it's basically like nobody gets a free ride, present company included. You know, I certainly require policing. I drink my ass off and do things that are stupid constantly. I, Do you know, even even when when I started to get, like, the first whiffs of this generation's sort of, like, political correctness, and it's like, bitch, I have taken rocks to the face. So that you can live it all. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I have been a faggot in these streets since the 90s. Like, are you really going to, like, monitor whether I remember someone wants to be called they <laughs> or not? Is this fucking yeah. happening? And the way to describe, too, the other thing is we almost have a generation of folks who, you know, never had to deal, never had to deal with that. And so the signal I use to give an idea as to how in denial America was back then, it's that there was a point in time where people couldn't figure out if Boy George was gay or not. 
fuck that Liberace had like women were throwing panties at a man who was like literally glittering <laughs> in a white fur playing a white piano tinkling his faggoty fingers on the 88 keys being like wasn't that fabulous girls like and they were like oh he's a dreamboat this country was fucking yeah. blind but to my point though is that these kids they came in and they came in hot and they were like here's the new language and we don't think it's funny when you say faggot and there will be no more like you can't call women bitches anymore and yakety yak meanwhile i'm like bitch because all of my fucking best friends are women and we only call each other bitch. You know, so I, I I, just like had to be exceptional. I was like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. I'm an exception to these rules. Go fuck yourselves. I felt very that way. And then I was playing an online game. I was playing a game called Conan mm-hmm. Exiles, which uh, it was free one month on the PlayStation 4. So I was playing it and I used to love Conan yeah. as a kid. And I was like, oh, this is fun. It's a survivalist game, which is a genre of gaming I had never gotten into. Long story short, if I played an online game 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and someone heard like, you know, sibilance in my voice or just the way I use language, it can get a little fruity, you know, the faggot would have happened in a parsisecond. Someone would have said faggot or fag or homo or dick sucking or something, which by the way, I cop Mm -hmm. to all of these things. I'm definitely... But it was always hostile. And I played this game online in voice because it's the only way you can communicate in game. And uh, and no one was at all bothered that I was like super gay. In one generation, they have diminished the impact of at least verbal racism significantly. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm yeah. a little impressed. I'm a little impressed. And you would say like, if there was one place where a blatant homophobe could hide and thrive, it would be in Conan Exiles. And I'm looking. 100%. Yeah. Do you know they have an Imperial East pack? I'm looking through it right now. I'm a huge- oh, yeah. I have it. I, I, when I, when I, I, I ended up buying it on the PC with all of its expansions. I'm very... I, I love to watch my money burn. There's some. <laughs> I just love being like, oh, well, I have to spend it. Yeah, with well, yeah, man. Spend. The only problem, see, the problem with me is I'll buy this, and then I'll play it once, yeah. and then like I'll yeah. go and do shit, and all of a sudden the weekend's over, and my kids have already like won everything, and and they also exactly they also mean. fuck up my they fuck with my characters too. Star Wars Battlefront, okay. Yeah, yeah, that game. You know, I've been saving up to buy a jetpack, and yeah. every time I logged on, they were spending my money, and they were spending it on dumb shit, and all. And so I'm sitting there making rules in my house so my kids can't spend my imaginary space money, and and then like, <laughs> or then there'd be a situation where you know I'd have all my weapons set up, and then I've got like an ATST coming at me, and I hit the button that I think is going to get to my guided missile launcher, but instead it's like uh, like night vision goggles or something stupid like that, and then I get mad at the kids again, yeah. and it's just like, you know, they don't know I'm crazy yet, so they're kind of like, oh, okay, Dad, yeah, we'll just do it like that, and so like now they like snitch on each other when somebody switches the weapons around. So game looks great. I don't know if I could deal with the heartache of 
of, of, of my character being defiled day after day after day. Yeah. Yeah, no. And there's nudity in it. It looks like too, from what I can see. Not on the PlayStation, but on the other platforms. Yes. I think think there's hits on the PlayStation too, Mm -hmm. but I mean, can I tell you like, this is what the country needs to go back to like, you know, tits. Like there's something about, that that good the good some of the good sensibilities yeah. of the 60s you know we were so close we were so close like you know beehive hairdos sexual revolution freedom the pill burning bras like black power uh acid Joni mitchell yeah. I mean, like monty python you know i mean there's we were so fucking close. We can get back there, man. And Conan will take us there. Yeah. With you know tits. what's great? Do you know what's great? We are an hour and 20 minutes into this. Um, I had come on uh-huh. after just really diving into the topic of, of immigration and the impacts and on and on. And we didn't talk about any of it. And on top of it, we are now on tits and video games as I think I, Maron, That's it. That's I don't think it. we have to go any further. I think, I think we end on a high note. I agree with that. So in closing to those listening, we've spent the month <laughs> discussing the history of immigration and its impacts on society. And the conclusion after a month's worth of work is tits and video games. <laughs> Hit some video games and the sixties, <laughs> and that was Mayron in all his glory. I have a follow-up article on Unpundit that is u n p u n d dot i t, a very unfortunate web address that will not be changed this week. So you're just going to have to put up with it. Now, what I found most interesting about my conversation with Mayron is that the most significant event in his childhood, the revolution that ultimately led his family to leave their homeland, leave family behind, friends behind, money behind, as we heard, was an environment where free speech and free thought were suppressed wholly. And what I got out of Mehran's political philosophies is they're really all based on the idea that if we're not going to talk about what's taboo, or if we're going to cordon off topics as things you can talk about and things you can't talk about, then we're making a step in that direction. We're actually ceding our own liberty. And I hope you guys pick that up too. And I hope you all pick that up too. And I'm figuring you at least disagreed with something he said. So next week starts a new month, and with a new month, a new topic, and we're going to be diving into the two-party system in the U.S., and with the numbers of independent voters more or less equaling those registered with two major parties, and with the popularity of both of those parties at an all-time low, why do we keep doing this to ourselves? So we're going to explore the impact of this setup, the history behind it, and the data And then I'm going to get someone like Mayron at the end of the month to blow the whole format apart. So for next week's guest, we have Trevor Barlow, who ran as an independent for governor of Vermont in the last election, came in third. Uh, And he's got some very, very 
interesting insights into how the political process or how our political process treats third parties. Hope you'll join me. This is Dan Sally signing off.